Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In ancient times, rabbis would often uh, invite their disciples to carry their yoke. Their yoke was a way to describe uh, the, the set of their teachings, the way that they lived, their outlook on life. And so when Jesus invites his followers to take his yoke upon them, for them it meant so much more uh, than just an imagery of an agrarian culture type thing. But for them it meant Jesus saying, I want you to take on the way that I live. And if you take on the way that I live, then you will begin to experience an ease and a lightness that you have been missing. Um, I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard to go down the street without seeing signs of uncertainty, without seeing signs of stress as people where masks and businesses have been shut down. And it's reminder after reminder of the season that we have found ourselves. And recently, uh, my wife was having a conversation with uh, Jubilee, our nine-year-old, and she says, Jubilee, this has been a season. And Jubilee says, no, mom, this has been three seasons. It's been spring, summer, and fall. And her, her literal tongue-in-cheek comment just reminded us that this has been such a season. And I think that these words, these, in this invitation that Jesus is extending to the church could never be more timely than for us as his followers to see that there is a way to live even in the midst of a pandemic, of political and social unrest that looks different than the rest of the world. And so as a church, we're going to be spending the next few weeks exploring the idea of Jesus and what he has to say about emotional health. Now, as these exterior things have become more chaotic and these, the things in life have felt lack, a lack of control, oftentimes the things that come as a result of it is our, uh, our own emotional state feels wrecked. Our relationships take the brunt of our emotional instability. And we recently, as a culture, uh, have always kind of dismissed emotions, but recently uh, there have been this, this increased interest in emotion. And maybe you've seen some of the books on emotional intelligence or emotional uh, quotient or EQ. And these books have tapped into the reality that in the very center of our brain is what's called the limbic system. And in the middle of the limbic system, connecting our frontal cortex, is this, this piece, kind of rounded piece, called the hippocampus. Now the hippocampus is kind of like this bridge between our limbic system, which is kind of our primal state. It's, it's kind of the things that we just feel we don't think about. And it connects them to our frontal cortex, which is our reasoning. And in the hippocampus is where we develop emotions. It's where we begin to say, okay, that was bad, that's good. Um, as a child, we begin to realize, okay, if I do this action, this results in um, poor consequences for me. And if I do really good on a test, then I get rewarded. And what happens over time is the hippocampus in your brain creates um, these neurological pathways that create emotions in us. 
But what happens is as we grow and develop, those emotions almost become a byproduct and they're rarely ever visited again. And so recently people in the business world have tapped into and realized that the people who are most successful are people who have uh, emotional stability, emotional maturity. And so there's been books written about this whole idea of what does it look like to have emotional intelligence. Well, here, here's what's interesting uh, for the Christian perspective is we follow Jesus Christ, who was both fully God and fully man. And what he came to do as he came into the world was to create redemption and reconciliation for the whole earth, and that includes our whole being. And if we're honest with ourselves, the church has done a great job in creating discipleship for us socially, spiritually, even physically. But oftentimes, the church hasn't spent much focus on what does Jesus have to say about our emotions, this, this really essential part of who we are and how we live. And so we're going to be spending uh, the next few weeks taking a look at the life and the person of Jesus, taking a look at the scriptures, and beginning to ask ourselves this very important question. What does God have to say, or what does God's work have to do with redeeming and restoring our emotional well-being? Now, when I, when I bring up the idea of emotional health, um, if you're like me, the very first time that I heard this phrase, uh, it kind of caught me off guard because, again, it wasn't a familiar term within the church or within kind of my own spiritual upbringing and the context. A matter of fact, the uh, concept of emotional health came in really a time of crisis. When uh, I just began ministry at a church in L.A., I was invited to be a part, uh, become the youth pastor of this church. And a month into that, we were invited in and told that uh, someone on staff had to be removed uh, because of a mor moral failure that happened. As a 19, 20-year-old young person who was excited about ministry, um, I was shocked and confused to say the least. I was shocked and confused because this person was someone that I looked up to. This person was someone who had uh, kind of spiritual success, if you will. People loved this, this person and followed this person. This person loved Jesus and taught the Bible. And so immediately I realized that there was this disconnect between this person's spiritual life and their emotional health. And as we're sitting there kind of in shock in this meeting, uh, someone who I just met came into being and they uh, passed around this book called The Emotionally Healthy Church by this guy named Pete Scrozero. Now Pete Scrozero is this pastor from Queens, New York. He pastors this multicultural congregation and uh, he experienced a growing, thriving ministry and at the end of the day uh, his marriage, his family, and his own personal well-being was a wreck. And he began to start going through this process of, if I'm pursuing all of these things that are spiritually good, why has it left me in this place of relational and emotional um, depletion and wreckage? 
And out of that began his own journey, which turned into this book called The Emotionally Healthy Church and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. They're amazing. You should pick them up. Um, and so his, his work has inspired uh, a lot of the conversations that have gone on, uh, that will be going on over the next few weeks. But going back to this, I want to just talk about these, these three primary uh, ways that we view emotions. Uh, the first uh, comes influence because of Eastern uh, religion. Eastern religion uh, would offer us this concept that emotions, although they're there, in order to experience peace or inner peace, uh, we have to be able to uh, not let them control us. And it's kind of this stoic kind of approach to that. And while this uh, is, has this appeal of not wanting emotions to control you, ultimately it just becomes this dismissive sense of like, emotions are bad, we have to get rid of them. Uh, and then we have a uh, more of a secular worldview. And the secular worldview of emotions says that emotions are just a chemical reaction in our head. And if that's true, if, if emotions are just a chemical reaction in our head, then we really have two options. One is to escape them, to avoid certain emotions and to charge into other ones. And whether that's through substance or success or relationships, we choose emotions, some of them just to escape, and some of them we begin to worship and idolize. And then there's kind of the popular Christian view, which for years has kind of downplayed emotions and essentially said, because emotions are bad, then you just have to have either faith or facts. And so we need enough facts, don't listen to your emotions. We, we recite Bible verses that the heart is deceitful above all else. And we just kind of dismiss them. It says, don't listen to your emotions, just follow the facts. Or uh, we follow this idea of faith, of even if you have emotions, uh, then you just have to have enough faith. You just have to say the right things in order to not let those emotions rule your life. You just kind of have to faith it till you make it, if you will. The problem with all of these worldviews uh, is they don't seem to line up with the biblical narrative. You see, when we begin to start looking at uh, the Bible, we see a, kind of another option that comes into play completely uh, other than these kind of popular narratives. So let me just read you this, this quote from Pete Scorzero. It says, When we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. We transform slowly into empty shells, with smiley faces painted on them. Sad to say, that is the fruit of much of our discipleship in our churches. When I began to allow myself to feel a wider range of emotions, including sadness, depression, fear, and anger, a revolution in my spirituality was unleashed. I soon realized that a failure to appreciate the biblical place of feelings within our larger Christian lives has done extensive damage, keeping free people in Christ in slavery. And so the kind of the proper response to this is to ask ourselves, how do we see emotions played out in the scriptures? And you don't have to turn more than a page to begin to start seeing God's involvement in, in emotions. We see Adam and Eve experience delight as they walk in the garden. We see uh, the the terror of experiencing shame for the first time as they try and cover themselves. 
We see the, the rage of Cain's envy. We see the agony that Abraham experiences. As a matter of fact, there's entire books that are written out of emotional places. You look at Psalms, Songs of Solomon, it talks about this erotic expression of love. You talk about Ecclesiastes, uh, which is this highly philosophical um, expression of, of just talking about kind of the, uh, the quickness and almost the worthlessness that life can possess. And we have Lamentations, a whole book of lament. And we just finished a series on the Psalms. And you cannot read the Psalms and not see the emotion of the poets and the songwriters as they're writing out these prayers. And so if you, if you read the scriptures, what you see is a God that is interacting with creations he made in his image that are filled with emotions. And here's what's interesting about emotions. Whenever we see emotions show up in the scripture, they are always gateways to God's interaction with his people. So here's, here's kind of a fourth way I would encourage you to thinking, besides kind of an Eastern uh, religious view, a secular view, or maybe more of a suppressive traditional Christian view. It's, it's the biblical view that our emotions are a gift. They're not God. They're not to rule over us, but they're a gift. They're gifts as they're gateways, as we surrender our emotions to God, that they tell a story. They're inviting God into, um, into those spaces of our lives. Probably where we see this the most is the person of Jesus, the one who invited us to take his yoke upon him. I love looking at the life of Jesus and just begin and just read the Gospels and ask yourself this question. What kind of emotions do you see Jesus express? Remember, Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, again from his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this, Scriptures portray Jesus as one who had intense, raw, emotional experiences and was able to express his emotions in unashamed, unembarrassed freedom to others. He did not repress or project his feelings onto others. Instead, we read of Jesus' responsibility experiencing the full range of human emotion throughout his earthly ministry. So what I'd love to do right now, I just want to read to you some of the times in scriptures, not all of them, that Jesus expresses and experiences emotions. And keep in mind, these are his disciples recounting the emotions they saw come out of Jesus. And if Jesus lived a perfect life, then we can rest that when we have emotions, there's a space for them. In Luke 19, 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. John 11 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Did you ever think about that? Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In John chapter 2, we have a story of Jesus uh, coming into the temple where they were uh, ostracizing people that were not of their race, really an early form uh, of racism that were preventing people from experiencing the presence of God. And Jesus says he makes a whip and he goes and he quotes the verse. He says, zeal for your house will consume me. So we have a zealous God, a God who weeps, uh, a God who is deeply troubled. 
In Luke 7, it says that when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Mark 1.41 said that he was moved with pity. Mark 9.36, so when we saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Luke 10, it says, at that time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So, again, these are just some of here is Jesus, the perfect example of humanity, the one we are to apprentice under. And as he's living his life, we see him lament and weep and have zeal and righteous anger. We see him have joy. Now, the author of Hebrews picks up on the emotion of joy that Jesus carried with him. And he says this, Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that image that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And in this moment, he says that there was a joy that was set before Jesus, and that that joy was so powerful that it moved him to and through the cross. And we have to remember that at the end of joy, that joy was the resurrection, was the victory that came that was not only his but extended to us as well. So, so here's what I like to do. Um, my, my hope is that you'd understand that this is not a sermon series on pop psychology. Uh, this is a highly theological and biblical conversation around what is God's redemptive activity around our emotional life, especially as we experience uh, uh, well, something that the globe has never experienced before. What does Jesus have to say about that? So, as we look at the scriptures, as we look to the person of Jesus, this is what I would like for you to say or to do. And so I would like for you just to take a minute. And as you take this moment, I want you just, I just want to ask you this question. And here's a question. What are you feeling right now? Wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching this, um, for some of you, you know immediately, you're in tune with your emotions, you're not afraid of your emotions, and when I say, what are you feeling right now, you're like, let me tell you. Uh, some of you, when I ask you that your question, uh, you're, you're probably frustrated, because maybe the upbringing you had didn't make space for your emotions, and to be honest, you, you're like, I don't want to even look into this, but I'm, again, I'm convinced that God has a redemptive purpose for your whole being. So if you need to pause the video, do it. But like, I want you just to take a moment and ask yourself the question, how are you feeling right now? What are your emotions pointing you towards? Are you angry? Invite God into that. Are you fearful? Invite God into that. Are, are, you, do, are you experiencing joy right now? Uh, my daughter just turned seven, and we took her to get her ears pierced this week. There was moments of, of extreme and pure joy that we experienced this week. But how are you feeling right now? And as you begin to start unpacking that, look at that emotion not as the focal point, but as a signpost, as an invitation to let Jesus come in. And here's what I'd like for you to do. Once you identify 
how you're feeling. I just want to read the same passage I began with out of Matthew 11, but I'm going to read uh, Eugene Peterson's poetic interpretation of that same passage. But I don't want you to hear me reading it to you. I would love for the Holy Spirit to extend this invitation to you through the person of Jesus in whatever emotional state you're in. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My desire is that as we journey in this conversation around Jesus and our emotional health, is that the byproduct would be uh, a restorative healing that Jesus would have, maybe that we've never even invited him into, and that as a result of that, the relationships that we have would be restored. And so if I could just speak to that real quick before I pray. If you've been struggling in your relationships... If you're married and you guys have just spent way too much time together, if your kids have been trying to figure out this whole Zoom school thing and it's created tension, if you've been laid off and you're trying to figure out uh, what's next for you and whatever relational state you've been in, I would just want to let you know you're not alone and that Jesus wants to meet you in the middle of it. There is not a relationship beyond God's redemptive ability. And that doesn't mean that God desires people to stay with endangered toxicity. Please hear what I'm saying. But what he's saying is God's hope and desire for us is always wholeness, and he wants to begin that in you. So as I pray, I would just encourage you just again to welcome the Holy Spirit, this invitation of Jesus to carry his yoke, to keep company with him, to learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you meet us uh, where we are, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would let us uh, just be totally um, vulnerable right now before anyone else just with you. And God, that you would meet us in this place. God, thank you that you know every single emotion on the spectrum. God, I pray that you would meet us in whatever emotional state we're in, that we would not feel embarrassed or ashamed to invite you into that place. But God, I pray that we would see this as an opportunity to allow you to come in and to bring your hope, bring your peace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.